You are listening to a podcast from The National. There are seven good reasons why the global economy could improve this year, at least according to Nouriel Roubini. You're listening to the Business Extra podcast coming from The National's newsroom in Abu Dhabi. I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi, Assistant Editor-in-Chief. He became famous after his prediction of the financial crisis several years before it happened turned out to be correct. For this, Nouriel Roubini has sometimes been referred to as Dr. Doom. He's also the Professor of Economics at NYU Stern School of Business and Chief Executive of Roubini Macro Associates. Professor Roubini is also a very outspoken critic of Bitcoin, which he has called the mother of all scams. However, when I caught up with him on the sidelines of MediaQuest's top CEO forum in Bahrain, at least in terms of the global economy, he wasn't making any gloomy forecasts. Bitcoin, not so much. Also, Professor Rubini explains to me the link between rising intolerance of minorities and populism around the world. Here is the interview with Professor Rubini. I read a piece you wrote in Project Syndicate, or that was on Project Syndicate, about how you, you compared slowdown versus recession yeah. for the global economy. Has it, I mean, do you, so far, I know it hasn't been long since you wrote that, but do you feel it's playing out that there's unlikely to be um, mm-hmm. anything beyond, beyond the slowdown? Yeah, you know, I mean, um, maybe it's going to remain just a slowdown rather than the risk of an outright recession because of the downside risk. One was China, I just spent a week there. And I would say they've done another stimulus. Growth is going to stabilize. So, um, so China, all in all, is not a source of uh, additional concerns. Second risk was uh, risk of a trade war between U.S. and China. Looks like Trump and Xi Jinping are going to reach a deal. May take a few more weeks. That avoids a full-scale trade war. Is bad for them, bad for the world and the markets. Then good news. Three, I was just. Um, in London, three days. You know, in Europe they worry about hard Brexit. Mm. I know one thing for sure, there will not be hard Brexit. Whether it be soft Brexit or reversal or second referendum, we don't know. But neither side can afford something's gonna lead to a trade shock, a business confidence shock, financial market shock. So that's good news for Europe and the world. Um, for the US was threatening tariffs on Europe, Japan, Korea, on autos. I think that under the threat of tariffs, they'll sit down and do negotiations. As long as that happens, that's good news. Fifth, uh, central bank has become very dovish, Fed, ECB, BOJ, all of them that helps economies and markets. Sixth, uh, in Q4, you have risk of the market sharply down, but uh, now that central banks are more dovish and global growth looks like it's stabilizing rather than recession, markets are risk on, they've gone up a lot. That's positive. And finally, you know, risk from the US and Trump is not going to be impeached. So the risk is does crazy and things in the US become totally unstable domestically in a way that then creates uh, international instability, probably is contained. So, you know, I would say, you know, he's always a little bit uh, but volatile, in, in but uh, uh, US policies are not going to be a major source of global volatility. And so, do you, know, do you see that through are, to 2020 as well, beyond, beyond this year? Well, you know, 
until the election, my view is, you know, he wants a stable economy. He wants a dovish Fed. This is Donald Trump you're talking about. Yeah, he wants a stable stock market. He doesn't want the massive trade wars. He's not going to even do another government shutdown. He's going to make noises about migration, the border, but he's not going to shut down the border. So, you know, he can talk and bark, but as long as he barks and he doesn't bite, U.S. is sort of growing 2%. That's good enough. Less of it, markets um, discount all the tweets as being noise. And what matters is actual policies. The actual policies are not great, but they're not totally disastrous. So the Trump risk is also contained. So, you know, on all these dimensions, I would say I've written a piece on how, depending on these factors, things can really go bad or can improve. I would say at the margin they improve. You know, it's still new mediocre, synchronized global slowdown. Not a great global economy, but hey, as long as we can avoid a, a crash, a meltdown, a recession, is good enough, right? Yes. Take that. Definitely. And, but more broadly, there's, there's a lot of talk about a sort of new type of capitalism, one which, where inequality, both in terms of individuals and companies, look at the size of the tech companies out there, it, it's becoming entrenched. I mean, do, do you share that view? Well, you know, I share the view that... Um, while I'm in favor of uh, technological innovation and globalization, it's true that uh, trade, uh, migration, globalization, technological innovation leads to winners and losers. And we forgot that there are winners and there are also some losers. And losers are becoming a bigger number. They're getting noisy, they're getting politically organized, and they say, we're left behind, and that's not acceptable. So I think that uh, the challenge of the next 20 years for all governments and also private sector is going to be how to reduce some of these income and wealth inequality. And one dimension of it is uh, in the tech sector where technological innovation is capital intensive, skill bias, labor savings. So if you own real and financial capital, you do well. If you're in the top 20, 30 percent of distribution of skills, you do well. But if you're in the bottom 70 percent, whether you're a blue collar, white collar, your jobs and income are threatened by technology, robotics, automation, AI, uh, let alone by trade and globalization and migration. So this is the key issue that uh, any, uh, any government, both advanced economies and emerging market will have to address in the next decades, otherwise you'll have revolutions. Do you, inc- do you include climate change in that conversation as something that needs to be incorporated into economic policy? I mean, things like the new Green Deal that they're, they're talking about in America, that very much the left is embracing, or the center-left is embracing that. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you feel that maybe a sustainable approach can help a more inclusive capitalistic well, model? Well, growth has to be inclusive. If it's not inclusive, it's going to lead to instability. Uh, how much of it is to provide skills, education, and economic opportunity in a digitized, globalized world? How much of it is to make growth that is more sustainable with on the strong environment? How much of it might be controlling the power of big tech that has oligopolistic rent extracting through their control of data? How much of it might be slightly more progressive taxation and redistributing or investing to your people? Uh, and so on and so on. You know, the solutions are, are complex. How much of it might be universal basic income? You know, uh, we have to address it. There is not a simple answer, but I think there is, you know, even billionaires all over the US every other day are coming with pieces saying either we address these ills of uh, 
Wild West capitalism or otherwise what I mean stability. And so, you know, I think there is an awareness. I mean, em- uh, this is a starting point. I mean, I mean, more broadly, emerging markets, I mean, uh, you, obviously an area of your expertise. We, we've seen elections uh, now in India, Israel. Um, it seems there's, there's quite a bit of political upheaval. Um, how, how much do you think um, do you, you know, politics will play a part in the outlook for emerging markets? Or does it simply, do they follow, if you, the U.S. is okay, if the U.S. doesn't have a cold, then emerging markets will be all right? Well, you know, if the U.S., Europe, and Japan advanced economies are fine, emerging markets economically are also fine, you know, there is, there is political uh, uncertainties in, um, you know, in many countries uh, in, in the world. Uh, that's true, but, you know, take even emerging markets, most of them, to me, look like reasonably stable, you know. You know, Modi most likely is going to win again, even if he were to lose it's not as if the other side is going to have radical change in economic policy. People may not like the foreign policy of Bibi Netanyahu, but economically Israel has been, you know, uh, successful. I would say that the weaker emerging markets today are countries where there is still kind of uh, economic and policy uncertainty. One of them right now is Turkey, but medium term, Turkey can be a success story. Uh, Argentina. Uh, has uh, serious economic difficulties. You know, Brazil and Russia in the last two years were weak, but now they look like they are uh, recovering. So, you know, all in all, I would say, compared to some of the political dysfunctionality in some advanced economies, gridlock that we have in the US, in UK, some of the populists that are in power in, um, in Europe, you know, the average emerging market, uh, it's okay, with some exception. I mean, if I jump from economics to, to more sort of, I guess, an effect of it, um, the intolerance, the lack of tolerance in, in many uh, societies at the moment. I mean, in Britain, you're seeing a, a real split in the Labour Party over anti-Semitism. I mean, there's just an intolerance at the moment. Is this something that is, for you, an unprecedented period in the last few years in terms of the inability of people to see how dangerous um, not, n- not addressing it can be? Well, uh, my, my observation is that whenever there is economic malaise, there is weak economic growth, there is economic weaknesses, young people don't have jobs, there's not economic opportunity, then you have to blame somebody. Sometimes you blame the foreigners and you go after the migrants, even if in the US migrants actually improve uh, the economy, sometimes you blame the Jews, sometimes you blame the Muslims, Sometimes you blame other minorities. It's, it's the nature of this ugly thing is happening in many parts of the world, both advanced economies and emerging markets. Instead of saying we have problems, let's resolve them, we find some minority, ethnic, religious, uh, whatever not, or the alien, the foreigner, and you blame it on them. When the problems are, are within, not, not, not outside. It's unfortunate. Hopefully, it's going to remain contained, and these ugly forms of excessive nativism are not going to become uh, dominant. If they become dominant, uh, it's, it's very dangerous. I hope that they don't. But we need to provide economic opportunities to, to people. Otherwise, these ugly feelings are going to are going to are going to increase. Yeah. I'll, I just want to see if I can get you to say one positive thing about Bitcoin. Uh-huh. One, just one thing that you like about Bitcoin at all. 
<laughs> it's hard for me to to say something positive about something that I think uh, is a bubble bombast. Just you know, I I I've been skeptical about it, and I just Bitcoin about crypto and blockchain more broadly. So I don't want to say something positive just for the sake of it. <laughs> well, I try. I, I tried. I tried. I'm sorry that I, I don't have anything to say. Professor Rubini, thank you so much. Good talking. Thank Pleasure. you. Thank Pleasure. you. So that was Professor Nouriel Rubini, and this has been an episode of the Business Extra podcast. Thank you for listening. A big thanks to our producer, Kevin Jeffers, and please do join us again next time.